0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So before we get started today, I want to share two quick things with you all. Last week, we wrapped up our first ever giving series at Collective, and I mentioned in week one of the series that I was super nervous about it because I didn't really want to talk about money within the first two years of Collective. But with Collective growing like it is, with you all serving the community in such big ways, I knew that we needed to talk about giving and wrestle with what Scripture says because our hope is to see God unleashed in this church and in this city and generosity plays a part in that. And so in this series, there wasn't a huge push outside of listening to God and taking a step. We didn't push for a certain amount of money. It wasn't a campaign. We even stopped passing the offering baskets. And I told you all that we would consider making this a regular part of what we do on Sunday morning. And as Katie said earlier, that's what we're going to continue to do. And so we're going to continue to not pass offering baskets. We're not going to create a time during our worship service for you to give. Our team will still be at the double doors on your way out. You can drop connection cards and offering in there if you choose. But we want giving to be something you choose to do before you ever show up at Collective. And we don't want it to be something that you do in response to something I say or the pressure of baskets being passed or because there's a special time dedicated to that. But one thing I didn't expect through this series was to see so many people take steps to be obedient and trust God with their finances. In the last four weeks, 21 individuals and families took a step in their giving. Many of you gave for the first time. Many of you took a step toward consistency. Many of you took a step toward being generous, and that's incredible because you all are incredible. And like I said last week, I know I'm biased, but I'm so proud of this church and your willingness to see just how good God is through that obedience. One story that came out of this series was shared to me by one of my friends at Collective, and he texted me on Wednesday, and this is what he wrote. He said, we tithed last Sunday the full 10% of our income before taxes or anything else. He said, I've been praying that God would give me clarity in our finances, peace when it comes to our doctor bills, and that I trust him completely with everything. Last night, my wife spoke to her mom, and she told us that her aunt has about $6,000 that she wants to give us in installments in order to help pay our daughter's medical bills. Dude, I tell you, God is moving, and it's exciting. He then added, this was the first time they'd actually tithed a full 10%. Now here's the thing, they didn't tithe because they wanted anything in return. This isn't a you give to get type of situation. They tithe because they wanted to be obedient to what God was teaching and that was all, that was their goal. But in doing that, they're watching God show up in incredible ways to meet needs in incredible ways. And listen, not every story will be like that. But the thing I wanna celebrate above everything else is that they wrestled with what scripture says, then out of obedience, they took a step. That's how we should approach everything when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. It's okay to wrestle with what he says. It's okay to have doubts. But if we want to see God unleashed, we have to take a step toward obedience. So that's what I want to celebrate the most. For those of you who did that during this series, thank you. You will see God continue to move in this church and in the city because of the obedience and because of the trust that you have. The second thing I want to share with you all is about our Christmas Eve services. People have been asking over the last few weeks so that they can make plans, so that they can start inviting people. And so we officially have the times finalized. This year we are hosting two identical church services. One on Sunday, December 23rd at 5 p.m. and one on Monday, December 24th at 3 p.m. Now this is really important. We will not be having our regular Sunday morning services on December 23rd. So if you show up at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on the 23rd, no one will be here, the doors will be locked, and you will remember me standing up here today saying, do not show up during that time. We might just like blow up a big picture of me and put it on the doors because one of you will show up at 9 or 10.30 on the 23rd, don't be that person. But on Christmas Eve, Eve and Eve, our services will look just like what we do on Sunday, only a little bit more magical. And the reason why we do this is because when you bring your friends and family, which you should be doing, we want them to experience the same grace and truth that we talk about each week. We want them to experience worship with the same level of energy and awesomeness that we have each week. We want them to experience the same greeting and warmth that our Connection Team offers each and every person that steps foot onto this property every single week. We want them to meet the amazing people on our collective kids team and worship, learn, and play the same way our kids do every single week. We even have a special gift for every kid who's in collective kids during those services, and it's going to be awesome. And so if you have people in your life who need that, we encourage you to bring them to one of the services. Choose which time is best for you. Better yet, choose which time is best for them and attend. Now, if you have friends that can go to one and family that can go to the other, you should be going to both with them. You can go twice. You can sleep through the sermon. It doesn't matter. The worship's still going to be excellent. As you came in, you have invite cards on your seat and you need to be wrestling with who you should be bringing on the 23rd or 24th. I read the stat this week that 82% of people that you know will say yes if you invite them to Christmas, but only 2% of you will have the courage to do that. 80% of the people in your life are longing for something more, are looking for hope, are looking for peace, and they're just waiting for you to ask them to join you, but only 2% of you will have the courage to take that step. This is the easiest time throughout the entire year to invite people in your life who might need to hear a message of hope. Don't be afraid to ask. And so to recap, we're having two identical collective style services, December 23rd at 5 p.m., December 24th at 3 p.m. We will not have services at 9 or 10.30 on the morning of the 23rd. Do not show up here. If you do, pretend like you never did. Don't tell anyone. You need to start inviting your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers. You won't regret it. They won't regret it. It's going to be awesome. And there's one more surprise. We'll have a hot chocolate bar, so get here a little bit early and make custom drinks of deliciousness. Or show up late, don't get it, walk a really long way. That's your choice. It's up to you. And today, we're starting a new series that will actually conclude on Christmas Eve, and it's based on this thought. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is... (laughs) (laughs) Man, I hope you guys feel like I do about Christmas music, because that was super lame. <laughs> First service was like way more exciting. There's a girl up front who's like, I listen to Christmas music in October. And I was like, you just know the church you can go to. But we're starting a new series, and it's all about Christmas carols. In fact, this series is one we did last year, and it had such a strong and positive response. We decided to do it again, but with new songs. And I know that as soon as I mention Christmas music, some of you are thrilled. You love Christmas music. You've been playing it since Thanksgiving or Halloween, like some people have, uh, which is super messed up, by the way. You have Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You on repeat. You love it. But some of you are like me and you're not as thrilled. You think that Christmas music should only be played on Christmas Day and then locked in a vault and not listened to again for 365 days. You think Christmas music is old and boring. You'll tolerate it, but only because you don't want all the Christmas-loving people in your life to constantly call you a Grinch. But no matter what side of the fence you're on, you're going to love this series, and I I promise that. Like I mentioned, we actually did this last year, and even the most Grinch-filled people like me walked away with a new appreciation of Christmas music. To be honest, I hate it just a little bit less this year, which I know, I know I'm getting soft. But our goal is to do that again. Most of the classic Christmas carols that we grew up singing have an incredible story with a deep meaning that we're unaware of. And so we want to learn the deeper meaning of these songs in order to fully understand the power behind them when we sing them. We don't want it to just be words. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking popular Christmas carols and not only singing them, but we're going to be learning where those songs come from and why they matter. Then we're actually going to sing them one more time as a church. And so after the sermon, we'll get a chance to sing the song that the sermon is based off of, hopefully with a new understanding and a new perspective on what we're singing. In early November, I was working out of the Starbucks on 7th Street. and It was mid-afternoon. The whole store was empty. It was just me and the baristas, and while I was sitting there cranking out some work over the music in my headphones, I could hear that they turned on a Christmas playlist. And I, like, I started to shake. I was so frustrated. Not just because it was way too early. Halloween had just ended, but because I really, really, really don't like Christmas music. And so I thought I could work through it, or maybe it was just like one song on a seasonal playlist. But when the second song started, I slammed my computer shut and I packed up. As I walked out of the store, I stopped by the counter to tell the baristas who know me, they know my name, it's fine, that I was leaving because they were playing Christmas music and it was driving me nuts. Their response was to just laugh at me, turn it up, and watch me walk out. <laughs> and so as I walked out, I still had my headphones on, I'm still listening to my own music, but I could hear the chorus of the song, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. As I sat in my car frustrated that I was subjected to such torture, I realized that I knew the song that we had to start this series with. So the song that we're going to talk about today is Oh Come All Ye Faithful, the song that Starbucks was playing as I left, because while I still stand by the fact that it was way too early to be playing Christmas music, I knew that it was a song that we all sing, but very few of us would know where it came from. And so that's what we're starting with today. O Come All Ye Faithful has been sung in churches of all denominations for almost 200 years and in Catholic masses for even longer. In the past century, it has been recorded hundreds of times. It is even one of the few traditional religious carols to land on the billboard charts, making it into the top ten on three separate occasions by three different artists. The song has been translated into more than 150 languages, and it's actually been called the greatest carol ever written. The song was written by John Wade, but it wasn't until after World War II that the story came out about how the song came to fruition. In 1745, at the age of 35, Wade's life was on the line. He was a Roman Catholic living in England when the hatred between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church was at an all-time high. Many practicing Catholics were actually forced to take their faith underground to avoid prison or death at the hands of the King of England. And so Wade, being of Catholic faith, actually fled to France where he was given a very important job. He was a calligrapher by training as well as a very skilled musician. And so he was asked to research and identify historical Christian church, or historical church music, then carefully record it and preserve it for future generations. Because at that point, most of the Catholic church records were lost during the conflict in England. And so working on this project, Wade put the finishing touches on what would become his most famous tune, O Come All Ye Faithful. A decade later, he completed the song and put lyrics to his melody, and the rest is history. O Come All Ye Faithful made it to America and most of the world and was adopted by many Christian churches around 1900. It became one of the focal points of the caroling movement that swept the country, which, to be honest, I don't think there's a lamer movement that's ever existed, a caroling movement. But it became one of the focal points of this movement. Mobile choirs going from house to house singing songs of the Christmas season always sang O Come All Ye Faithful. And more often than not, each performance actually closed with the chorus to the song. It was so well known. And during the 1905 Christmas season, the greatest American vocal group of the period, the Peerless Quartet, recorded and released the carol. And at a time when radio had yet to introduce music to the masses, thousands of copies of the Christmas single were sold. The single even hit number seven on the National Hit Parade. The world's most famous Irish tenor, John McCormick, took John Wade's carol to number two on national playlists in 1915. And a decade later, the American Glee Club proved again that O Come All You Faithful was still America's favorite Christmas song by singing it again and bringing it back into the top 10. In a medium where very few Christian songs found universal favor, the song remained the most beloved holiday offering until Bing Crosby cut White Christmas. And what's really interesting about O Come All You Faithful is it's unique compared to most carols because of its simplicity. The song only sings of a brief moment in the story of the birth of Christ that we see in Luke 2. And so in Luke 2, starting in verse 8, this is what it says. "'That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, "'Don't be afraid,' he said, "'I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people.'" The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so the angel approaches the shepherds and shares with them the most important announcement in human history. And what the angel is doing is he's actually inviting them to go to Bethlehem to see for themselves, to see the Messiah, which means promised Savior. This is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for, and the angel saying, He is here. Go check it out. Here's how you know you will, you will find him. Luke writes, you will, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was, bo- was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The angel is saying when you get there, you will see hope. When you get there, you will see peace. When you get there, you will see grace wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And so what Wade does is he takes this story and he writes the first two verses based on this. He wrote about an invitation to the shepherds to meet the Savior of the world. He wrote about a choir of angels singing glory to God. He wrote, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. And he continued right in verse two, sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Oh, sing all you citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest. O come, let us adore him. Now to adore means to give great love and respect. And that's what the shepherds are invited to do. And what's really important to know about this story is that the shepherds are blue-collar people. They're blue-collar workers. They have very little value in society. On a practical level, they are dirty, they're smelly, they're unwanted, they are poor, but that's who the angel approached first. It wasn't a king. It wasn't a wealthy patriarch. It was a group of messy people. It was a group of outsiders, and too often we believe that we are too broken. We believe that addictions are too much of our identity. We believe that our divorce defines us. We believe that whatever junk we have going on in our life is just too much. It's too wrong. It's too messy. It's too sinful for Jesus, that Jesus wouldn't want us, that he wouldn't love us because we feel unlovable. But this story in Luke and this song is a reminder that it doesn't matter if you are a smelly, worthless shepherd in a field. You are invited in to come and behold the king of angels. You're invited in to celebrate the Savior. You're invited in to worship God and his glory. You're invited in. A few years ago, one of my mentors shared a story with me that I'll never forget. He's the lead pastor of a church that's very similar to Collective. It's a church full of broken and messed up people who are all trying their best to follow and trust in Jesus. And he shared with me about a guy named Alex who attended their church. And when Alex was younger, he ran away from home to escape a fami- family member who had been sexually assaulting him for years. He didn't have a place to go. He didn't have a job. But he knew that he couldn't stay at home anymore. And for the next few years, Alex bounced from house to house and shelter to shelter until eventually he ended up on the street. Alex turned to selling his own body so that he could eat, but more often than not, it was to feed the addictions that he developed to cope with the pain from his childhood. One winter morning on a Sunday, Alex woke up on a freezing park bench, and he knew he needed to gather the cold, so he decided to look at a church. He also knew that he was at rock bottom and hoped that maybe he could warm up and that Jesus would actually have something to offer him. But the first church that he went to turned him away because he was too disheveled. The next Sunday, he decided to check out a different church because he had remembered hearing stories of Jesus caring for poor and outcast people, and he knew that's who he was, and he was just desperate for someone to care for him. He walked into the church and he was turned away again. He didn't give up though. He Googled churches with grace in the title, hoping to find it, but everywhere he went, he was pushed away. He was told that he was too broken, that his past was something he needed to keep private because it was making people feel uncomfortable. He was told that he was too dirty and too addicted and too sinful. One Sunday morning, he was sitting in a coffee shop and he was just weeping when a woman, old enough to be his mom, approached him to ask if he was okay. Over the next hour, he shared with this stranger about how he was homeless, abused, addicted, broken, and now he was realizing that he was just unwanted. When Alex finished his story, the older woman hugged him, and she said, you can come to church and sit by me. And when he asked if if she was sure, she responded by saying that you aren't to anything to be invited into the presence of God. There's nothing in your past that keeps you away from his love, and there's nothing you can do in the future that will make him love you less. That's called grace, and that's what the birth of Jesus came to offer. And so many of you think you are too messed up to sit in church. You walked in today just waiting for someone to tell you that you weren't welcome. You think that God's grace isn't for you. You think that God doesn't want you. But the birth of the Messiah wasn't for perfect people. It was for dirty shepherds. It was for drug addicts. It was for doubters. It was for the sexually impure. It was for the divorcee. You are not too broken. You are not too addicted. You are not too messed up to be invited into the presence of our Savior. And that's what the first two verses of this song remind us. That the angel came to bring good news that will bring great joy to all people, all people, including you. No matter how messed up your past is, no matter how broken your present is, no matter how sinful your future will be, God knows it all, and He still sent His Son for you. Here's the best part even after the angel invites the shepherds, you know that they are doubtful, you know that they are nervous, you know that they are anxious because they're wondering what if this isn't real? What if the angel's wrong? What if we show up in this manger and there's not a child there? What if we go and this is all fake? And you know they're sitting there in this field wondering, do we do this? Do we pursue this? Do we take this chance? And even through their doubts, they still go. They still head to Bethlehem. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in a manger. And so in just a few words, Wade writes about this in verse three. He writes, "Ye, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning, Jesus the, to thee, be all glory given. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore him." It's saying that he is real, that He is from God, that He is God in the flesh. John 1 14 says, "So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son." So when the shepherds arrived, they see God's Son. They saw the glory. They saw the love. They saw the faithfulness. And in the moment they were standing there and staring at the manger and seeing the child Jesus, it all became real. When Ray and I, uh, when Ray was pregnant with our first child, I remember living in a space, wondering at all times if it was real. And from the moment we found out she was pregnant, we began to prepare for this child, but those nine months felt like an eternity. When it got close to her due date and the reality that in a few days we'd become parents, it all felt surreal. It honestly just felt like a dream. And when her due date came and went, it became harder to believe that this was happening. And I actually remember staying up late one night, waiting for Elise to arrive, when Ray asked me, what if I'm not really pregnant? And I remember looking at her, like, you look pregnant. I don't know how to say this to you. Uh, but she asked, what, what if none of this is real? You know, all the signs pointed to the fact that we were going to become parents, but until she arrived, it was hard to be completely sure. You know, we'd spent nine months and a few days waiting for this baby, the baby we had named when we found out she was a girl, the baby we'd created a nursery for, the baby we talked about and wondered, would she look like mom or dad, hopefully mom? Would she be loving and kind like her mom or sarcastic and aggressive like her father? We spent months thinking and praying and hoping. And when she was born, I just remember this wave of love sweeping over me because it was real. Holding this child that Ray and I had prayed for, holding this child that we dreamt about, holding this child who immediately changed our lives, she was real. And everything in that moment changed. You could feel it. And so when the shepherds walked into the manger and saw the Son of God, they knew their lives had changed forever that the promises of a Savior were now in flesh appearing, that the love of God came to earth in the form of a child, that hope was real, peace was real, salvation was real. And you can just imagine how overwhelming that feeling was, feelings of joy and relief, comfort and excitement. Because it isn't just about an invitation to be in a relationship with the Son of God. It's about the Son of God in the flesh. It's real. And so many of you are living in a place in your life where you're longing for hope, where you are longing for forgiveness, where you are longing for purpose, and you are waiting in anticipation for something or someone to offer that. But the truth is, it's already been offered. It was offered in the form of a child who would live a perfect life, who would change eternity forever. Jesus came to die a very public and painful death, and he did so willingly so that we could experience life to the fullest, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with God, and it's real, and it changes everything. So if you're longing for that, you don't have to wait any longer. God wants you. He wants to show you just how deep his love is for you. The invitation is there, but you have to move. You have to take a step. If the shepherds never made it to Bethlehem, it wouldn't have changed the fact that a savior was born, but it would have changed how it impacted their lives. And the same is true for you. If you choose not to put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't change that Jesus came to die for your sins, but it does change how it impacts your life. And so for those of you who have been wrestling or waiting for this, you don't have to wait any longer. The invitation is there. You just have to take the step. We want nothing more to help you do that. We want to help you put your faith in Jesus. We want to help you get baptized. You can check it off in your connection card. You can come talk to me after service. The main thing is this, the invitation is there. God wants you. He loves you. He wants nothing more to be than to be in a relationship with you, but you still have to take that step. My favorite part about the song Oh Come All Ye Faithful isn't actually about the verses. It's about John Wade. When John Wade was writing this song, his life was a disaster. He was living in a time of great conflict in the church and in his life. He was forced to give up the country he loved and and sacrifice of his faith. He had to work long hours trying to preserve church records that others were attempting to erase for all time. He lived in a constant state of tension. He lived in a constant state of mystery. He feared for his life. He was displaced. In the middle of all of this, he still wrote this song. He still wrote, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. He still wrote, Glory to God in the highest. He still wrote, All glory should be given to Jesus. He still wrote, O come, let us adore him. And the reason why he wrote this song wasn't for anyone else, but it was for himself. No one even knew he wrote it until after World War II. He didn't write this song in hopes of it becoming a famous Christmas carol. He wrote it as a reminder of what the birth of Christ meant to him. He wrote it as a reminder that in that season of his life where he had no hope and he had no peace and he had unrest and he had pain, that Jesus is the reason why he can have light at the end of the day. And the reason why he wrote the song was a reminder to himself. And so that's why we sing this song at Christmas. we we'll come all ye faithful as a reminder that no matter how messy our life is, we've been invited into a relationship with the savior of the world. And it's a reminder that Jesus is real, that it isn't a shallow invitation and this should bring hope. And should bring hope right now because, in a season that often brings pain and reminders that our life is not what we had hoped it would be, our family isn't as big as we want it to be, our marriage isn't as strong as we need it to be, our finances aren't as consistent as we expected them, we can still have hope because we can still sing, Oh, come, let us adore him, because Christ our Savior is born. Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful um, that you're real. And God, we're just so thankful that, that for some reason you, you decide to invite us into a relationship with you. God, that it doesn't matter how messy we are, how broken we are, the things we've done in our past, the things we're doing right now, the things we'll do in the future, you still invite us into life with you. God, I pray during this season, uh, as we celebrate Christmas, as we uh, look at the lights and the gifts and the trees, and, and even sing these songs, God, I pray that, that our mentality and our focus can change uh, toward you. And God, specifically, as we sing this song, as we know these words, we can sing it with our eyes closed, but God, that we recognize this song is all about an invitation that you've offered us and the fact that you are real. And God, ultimately, you want nothing more than for us to be in a relationship with you. You want nothing more for us to receive that grace and receive that forgiveness and receive that goodness. God, thank you that we have the opportunity to dig into these songs and learn. But God, ultimately, we just are so thankful to have the opportunity to move closer to you. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.